Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, Mike Vaccaro. How are you? I'm doing good, Howard. How are you? Happy Thanksgiving. And same to you. Uh, outside of you and Bob Lanier, who else went to St. Bonaventure? <laughs> <laughs> well, we got uh, we got Adrian Wojnarowski, the uh, master oh, yeah, of the right. Bob. So right. He's, uh, he's probably uh, number one on the hit list. We have a, a super fan now. You'll see every game they have on TV called Captain Beer. He wears a, uh, he wears a big beer uh, mug on his head. So you got that. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got a few. Chris Laplaca who's a big shot at ESPN. Yeah, dear friend of mine. So uh, yeah, you know we 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 we, we uh, we're, we're scattered about. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly when in the top twenty-five in the in the country. Oh, you can't you, you can't get rid of us now. No matter where you go, you're going to see a bottom at your shirt. Let's look at the New York sports landscape where it is right now. This is a week of truth for the New York Knicks. Uh, they've got Phoenix tonight, the hottest team in, in the NBA. They've won 14 in a row, uh, playing incredible basketball. They've got as good a backcourt as you'll find in the NBA. Uh, they got tremendous leadership, obviously, with Chris Paul running the show, leading the league in assists. The Knicks, by contrast, Tom Thibodeau's got uh, some tough decisions he's going to have to make. Uh, they went out and got Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier for a purpose. That backcourt, we have found in recent games, has been sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter. So what do you think Thibodeau does next? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, unless uh, Leon Rose has a surprise up his sleeve, I mean, you know, would, you know, Thibodeau's options are limited to what's on the roster. So, I mean, there's really not a lot he could do. Um, up until, you know, the last game where Fournier really saved their bacon and he shot you know, tremendously well against the Lakers. I thought it wouldn't be such a terrible idea, at least for a couple of weeks, to switch him and Alec Burks, because Burks has been playing very well. He brings a, a you know two real elements they need, which is aggressiveness on the offensive end, and he's very good defensively also. And I thought that his you know maybe adding him to the starting mix might you know might be helpful. Um, you know, Fournier playing so well the night might probably even even if that was in his. In Thibodeau's mind, he might not do that now. But, I mean, look, I mean, there's really, to me, the only other thing that makes sense is to give more minutes to Obi Toppin because I really, I really believe in this kid's progress. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that his improvement year to year from year one mimics how much R.J. Barrett improved year to year, you know, year one to year two. I think Obi's always going to be given a little bit of a uh, – people are going to look at him differently because he's old. You know, he played – you know, he played, you know, four years of college basketball, three years of college basketball, four, over four years. And, you know, so as a result, I mean, you know, people are going to be a little bit 
skew about you know how old he is, but I I think he's like one thing he's known as the athletic guy on the team. He he's, he's the guy who electrifies the guard more than anybody else on the team. And if you look at him, you know I mean he's he's really a better player now, much better player now than he was last year. And I think he merits more time. I think you know I'm, who knows what it, what goes into entering Tom Thibodeau's circle of trust, but. Uh, you know, I'd like to see that more. And the option, you know, the opportunity is there now because they're banged up at center, so there are minutes to be had. Um, I would like to see him play more with Julius Randle. I, I, I'd rather see that than him being a strict backup for for Randle because I think he's limited that way. So I mean, I think those are the two things that I look at. You know, of, of, of the things in in his in, in, in his mixture that he could you know maybe, maybe do a little bit differently right now. I guarantee you, Mike. After the Laker game, Tom Thibodeau walked walked in the locker room and went. I mean, you blew a 25-point lead and hold on for a seven-point win. I mean, if Carmelo Anthony made anything in the fourth quarter, the Knicks would have lost that game. And that would have been a bad loss. You know, without LeBron James, I mean, you kind of expect to win that game. I get it, the Lakers are just a one-man team, and they had the older other guys were out there, and they were playing pretty well after that initial spurt. But that would have been a bad loss, just, just for that reason alone, the fact that you lose to Lakers at home without LeBron, but to you add in the element of a blown 25-point lead. And get like I get it, the NBA in 2021, it's all about blowing and overcoming big deficits. I mean, yep. I've never seen, you know, you, you know the NBA's at the three-point line for a, for a long time. And I know that Thibodeau talks about how it's different now because everybody can shoot threes and so you can make up 15 points in a, you know, about five minutes. But um, it's still never, never been this extreme. But even then, you know, blowing a 25-point lead is a little bit uh, – to the extreme. So, yeah, it was important for the Knicks to hold on the other night. Uh, you mentioned R.J. Barrett. You look at his numbers. They're down from last year. His points per game is down from 17.6 to 14.8. His three-point shooting from 40% last year, 32% now. His free throw shooting is down from 75% marginally to 71%. But we all know that this kid's got a tremendous future uh, and an outstanding player in so many ways. Uh, but is he just going through a phase right now? I mean, I, I, how do you explain the difference from last year to this year for Barrett? Well, I mean, I think one of it, I think, I, I think he's had to make, a, in a lot of ways, even more adjustments than Julius Randle has to the new personnel. Uh, look, I mean, you know, that's starting five. Sometimes, you, you know, you see guys go five, six minutes without getting a shot because, I mean, there are guys, you know, all five of those guys, I should say four of the five guys, the center is you know, Fournier, Kemba, Julius, and and and, uh, and RJ are all offensive-minded. You know, they you know, they could all you know really get on get on streaks. But sometimes it's hard to you know to, to, to get shots up. I think sometimes RJ is so deferential to the other guy. Sometimes he just gets lost in the offense. I think that's why you sometimes see him. You know, oftentimes when he's at his best, you know, he has great third quarters because like you know, he, all of a sudden he realizes, all right, I'm, I got to start asserting myself. Um, I, I think part of it is, the, is, is a natural regression to the mean a little bit. But I also think that, uh, you know, I, I think he's been, you know, when we talk in baseball, we talk about hitters and putting to bad luck sometimes. You know, and I think I, I think RJ's getting the same shots he got last year. And, you know, a lot of them are going the same way. It's just it's, it, it's just not, uh, you know, some of these shots just aren't falling. And, I, and the same way, you know, you get a good hitter, it's, it's line drives right into somebody's mitt, you know, for two weeks at a time. I think that's the kind of stretch that RJ's going through now. I don't worry about him. He worked so hard, and he's got such a good attitude. And the fact is that even when he's not playing well offensively, he's a plus player defensively. 
which is the reason why Thibodeau likes him so much. Uh, you know, I think all the other things will fall into place eventually. Mike Picaro, the New York Post. I've talked to a number of guys the last couple of weeks, Mike. It's their opinion, and it's just an opinion, that Julius Randle, while an outstanding player, uh, is you don't fit him in the superstar category. Is that a fair judgment of Julius Randle? Or in your mind, is he a superstar? No, I think it's fair. Look, I mean, I, I think what he did last year is so remarkable because, you know, he, 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 after having a really tough year, first year in New York, you know, he embraced Thibodeau's system. I mean, I think him and Thibodeau are, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, basketball soulmates. They see the game through the same prism. And so it, you know, resulted in, in, in just an incredible year. I do think that he is more a number two player, and I think he's really a, a great number three player on a really good team. Um, I, I think, you know, Julius's problem is when, he, is when he feels like he needs to do too much. I mean, you know, his, it's wonderful how you know gen, generally unselfish he is, but also it, it, it and, and, and you see him make those turnovers mostly when he's you know he's, he's trying to do too much, and you you would have thought that maybe you know adding Kemba Walker might have taken some stuff off his plate, and I think that ideally it will. But I'd also think that he's used to still being the alpha dog in the offense where if anything good's going to happen, it's going to go through him. And that's the way it was last year. And, you know, he was so good that, you know, you kind of were able to overlook his mistakes. I think what you're seeing a lot now is you're seeing teams adjusting him the way that the Hawks did in the playoffs last year where they realize if, you know, if, 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 if they force him to, to kind of be the, you know, the, the guy the offense goes through, the offense doesn't look so good. Um, which is why it's, you know, let, you know, last year specifically, it was such a great thing to have Derrick Rose kind of be able to take a lot of the burden off him. And uh, the problem is he and Rose don't play together a lot because Rose is on the second team. That, you know, changes sometimes in fourth quarters depending on how the Knicks are playing. But, um, you know, it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, I think so much of the key is, is Kemba. I mean, Kemba has been spotty. Kemba hasn't been great yet. He's had his moments. But I think that the uh, the ma- a maximized Knicks team is one that has Kemba, you know, really integrating its, you know his game into the in, in, into the into the Knicks game, and that for the most part includes Julius, who I think you know would benefit from from Kemba being able to be you know the guy who's the true alpha dog on the offense. Yeah, you're right about Kemba offensively. Defensively, he can be a liability. No question. I mean, that's, and that's always been a knock against him. And, you know, sometimes you can overlook that when you're on certain teams where defense isn't quite the uh, um, primary thing as it is with the Knicks. But obviously, if you're playing for Tom Thibodeau, you're going to play defense. You're not going to play. And uh, I think one of the things we're seeing now is that uh, you know, one of the reasons Kemba doesn't play a lot in the fourth quarter is because he has better options. You know, uh, you know quickly is definitely a better option defensively. Burks is definitely a better offense, uh, a better option uh, defensively. Even Derrick Rose, who isn't known for his defense, you know, he's a little longer and he's a little, I think he's a little more athletic at this point, even with his bad knees than, than Kemp is. And even he's a better option defensively. I think that's the reason why you see Kemp's minutes limited in the fourth quarter so many times. Uh, Emmanuel, quickly, this, and Randall said it, and I said it the first time I watched him, this kid's fearless. He's not afraid of anything. I mean, he'll, he'll do what he's got to do to get the play done. I'm not sure I'm in love with his new hairstyle, but that aside, I think the kid's got a tremendous nerve on both ends of the floor. And you mentioned Alec Burke. I completely agree. 
He's filled it up at times when they needed him to make in the fourth quarter of games like he did against the Lakers. So I, I think that, look, this roster is very deep. Problem is, how do you identify your starting five? How do you identify, you know, the guys you want on the floor in the fourth quarter? You would think it would be the starters, but up to this point, it hasn't been that way. And, you know, something that, that I think was, you know, came, came to the front the other night, Howard, it's, it's been an issue a couple of times. I actually wrote about this after the Lakers game, which is that, uh, look, I mean, the, the Knicks put the game away when Julius was on the bench with his fifth foul. And there have been times, especially late in games, where they've played better with Julius on the bench. Now, that's not to say in any way that the Knicks are better without Julius. I mean, you look at the, his box score the other night, he had 20 and 16. You don't just you know hand those away. And you don't just minimize those, you know, those, those, those numbers. What the Knicks need to do is they need to figure out a way to start playing better with Julius as the primary option that he's going to be. And that, that, that's, that, that's what he's going to be. I mean, you know, they're, they're not suddenly going to minimize Julius Randle, who was, you know, one of the 10 best players in the NBA last year. Uh, but they just need to figure out a way to play better. And the fact is that there are stretches now, you know, for whatever reason, and maybe it's because they're not always kind of trying to run the offense through him. And so they, you know, the ball gets, you know, finds a lot of other hands, but they do play better for the stretch. They play, they, there's no doubt they played better without him the other night in the fourth quarter. Um, there was a game, uh, you know, the game against the Magic. They made their big comeback against them and almost won the game while Julius is on the bench. I mean, and again, I, I want to I emphasize, I'm not blaming Julius for anything, and I'm not saying the Knicks are a better team without him. I think they need to be a better team with him, and I think that's one of the challenges that Thibodeau has right now is figuring out a way to reintegrate his best player and the best elements and the best nature of his team. Mike McCarroll, the New York Post, I mentioned at the very beginning about this is a week of truth. They play Phoenix tonight. They play at Atlanta tomorrow night, the second night of a back-to-back, which is going to be tough. And then Tuesday, they got to go to Brooklyn and play the Nets, followed by a home game at Madison Square Garden, which has not been the friendly confines. They play the Chicago Bulls on Thursday. So this week is going to tell you a lot about who this Knicks team is. It really is. And look, I mean, one of the things the Knicks have to do is they have to play better at home. There's no question about that. And there will be no better time to do that than against the Suns, who are coming in red hot. You know, they're coming to New York to do their own back-to-back against the Knicks and the Nets. Uh, they, they, I think they, you know, they, 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 they clearly are showing that last year's run in the finals was no fluke. They're definitely one of the two or three best teams in the league. And while that, while their game against the Nets might have more of a marquee a matchup for people outside of this area in New York, it's going to be a great thing for them to come into the Garden and see where the Knicks are uh, and how they can kind of rise. You know, one of the things about the Knicks, I mean, you know, the, the and this has been the, been a bad thing for most of the year because they played a lot of bad teams. You say we, we, we a lot of times you say they play with a level of competition. I mean, you know, when you play in the Magic, that's not a good thing because the Magic are terrible. If they can do that against the Suns, that's actually a good thing because the Suns are actually, you know, one of the two or three best teams in the league. So if they can do that, you know, and you, you got to figure it's going to be a juiced-up garden day after Thanksgiving and good team in town. And uh, and I think the Knicks really believe they've got something to prove. They need to start playing better at home. There's no question about that. I mean, they're going to look back at the end of the year when they're not as highly seated uh, as they would hope to be or, you know, and, and wonder, well, geez, you know, we lost two games to the Magic and we lost – this game to the Cavs, and we lost this game to the Raptors, and those are all games they should have won, uh, just primarily because they should be playing better at the Garden. But um, yeah, it's going to be a great benchmark game against the Suns for sure. And this is a, this is a look. It's a key. It's a key. It's a key uh, stretch of the season. I mean, for all their problems, it's still two games over 500. 
But that uh, that margin can disappear in a hurry given the, the level of competition they've got in these couple of days. Uh, the two games over 500 puts them seventh in the East with a lot of the teams that struggled early on playing better now like Miami, like Boston. Uh, let's go across the river to the to Brooklyn. The Nets right now, best record in the East. If I said when they when we all found out that Kyrie Irving was going to sit out, uh, did not want to take the vaccine and so on for personal reasons, blah, blah, blah. Do they miss Kyrie Irving? Yeah, I guess you could say they do. But they got the best record in the East without him at 14 and 5. They're playing particularly well on the road. They've won four in a row. Uh, and <laughs> my question is, can they win the East without Kyrie Irving? Well, no doubt they can because they have the best player on planet Earth in Kevin Durant. I mean, when you have that guy on your team, um, really anything is possible. Um, he's not, and he's not a one-man team because he does have, you know, obviously James Harden is the one with the uh, with the reputation, but, you know, that's a that's a pretty deep team. And the fact that LaMarcus Aldridge came back this year has been a huge boost to the Nets. Um, and it's a team that plays well together. And, look, I mean, give credit to Steve Nash. I mean, I think he's shown in year two that, you know, he's a pretty good coach. He can, he can make adjustments. He, he knows how to coach stars, having been one himself. That probably doesn't hurt. Um, and, and look, I mean, they're, 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 as long as you have Durant on your team, you're going you're gonna to have a shot. You're going to have, have, have a puncher's chance. Uh, my question is going to be what it's going to be like when you get to a seven-game series. If they're still without Kyrie then, you know, it gets to be a little bit different. I still think the Bucks are the better team, frankly, over a seven-game series. Um, I think they're better this year than they were last year, despite their you know, struggles early on. And I think they would give the Nets a, a heck of a chime in the in the uh, in a seven game series. I think you have the same issues with, with with the Sixers. I mean, obviously they've had their awful COVID related issues, and they've been you know, playing shorthanded for two weeks at full strength. I'd love to see them in a seven game series again against the Nets. That'd be fun. Um, you know, so and the, and the Heat also. I mean, that's just a team that I just think is you know has a, has a huge ceiling and can, can also give. And that's a problem. So when you, you know, I think I think you're talking about two different things. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Nets wind up with the number one seed in the East because I just think that, uh, you know, assuming they stay healthy, they're, they're, they're the team that's going to have Kevin Durant playing 75 games. And that's a pretty good benefit. If uh, at the time they announced the acquisition of Patty Mills, I said, beautiful. This is a tremendous guy that fits this team perfectly. He can shoot the three. He can play either guard position. He comes in with a background of playing for a championship team in San Antonio. He knows how to win. He knows what it takes. Here he is shooting 50% from the three-point line, averaging 12.5 points a game. This guy's godsend. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he's, a, he's a professional, you know, and I think that's the thing that you I mean, that, that, that's the word that really strikes me when I watch him play. I mean, he's, he's just a pro. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exa exactly where he needs to be. He knows ex exactly what his role is. Um, you know, that, that only comes with playing on winning teams, which he has his whole career. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he, that, 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 that will turn out to be a wonderful addition because he's just, you know, he's, he's the kind of reliable guy you need. Uh, and, and I think they were missing last year. Look, all due respect to Joe Harris, I mean, part of the reason the Nets – weren't able to finish off the Bucks is because Harris disappeared. Yep. I don't think you're going to find Mills. I'm not saying that Mills is necessarily going to go seven for nine for three every game, but you're going to figure out a way to be able to help you. And you can also do other things to help you other than, you know, than, 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 than just shoot. So, I mean, to me, I mean, that's going to be where you're really going to see Mills's uh, real, you know, his, his assets really rise because, um, you know, he really is, just, he's just a professional and he's a winning player. Uh, Mike, let me ask you about the, the two football teams in New York. The Giants first come off a blowout loss 
to Tampa Bay. Not surprising they lost to Tampa Bay, but they were never in that game. I mean, early on, yeah, it was 7-7. Okay, fine. But following that game, of course, uh, Joe Judge went on a rant. I mean, he he left no prison, left no prisoners. He attacked everybody. You knew that Jason Garrett was probably in danger of getting fired. Lo and behold, 24 hours later, he was fired. I'm not surprised by this decision, but Jason Garrett, over the time he's been the offensive coordinator, has been very vanilla in his play calling. Yeah, it was it was probably time to do it before the uh, before the bye, but it's a hard time to I guess to make that to pull that trigger because they won the game. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, for the Giants, this year was always the, I mean, the most important element was trying to figure out what they have with Daniel Jones. And the problem, you know, more so than the three and seven record, and more than the listless play, and the fact that somehow, you know, in, in, in a in, in a NFC where a seven and eight team or an eight and nine team rather is probably going to make the playoffs, uh, they're not even in, in the conversation right now. Uh, the biggest problem for the Giants is that we don't know what Daniel Jones is still. I right. mean, he still has moments where he looks like he might be the guy, and too many moments where he looks like he's absolutely not the guy. And, you know, a lot of that is on Daniel Jones, but some of that has been, you, know, you have to label on the offensive coordinator for not putting him in a position to maximize what he can do well. And, you know, right now, I mean, you know, I think I think the next couple of games are sink or swim time for the Giants and Daniel Jones in, in, in that marriage to see if, they can, if it can be salvageable. I don't know if Freddie Kitchens has, has a magic wand to make him a better quarterback, but, you know, like, I mean, I, I've seen too much good from Daniel Jones to think that, to, to, to really believe that the bad defines who he is, but until we see otherwise, and I think he needs a real helping hand from his offensive coordinator, I think that's one thing he didn't get from Jason Garrett. I think a lot of times, you know, with Garrett's game plans and his game management, I think he was hung out to dry, the quarterback was, and so we'll see if that can change over the next couple of weeks. Well, look at the defense. The defense is ranked 26th in the league, so they're not absolved of blame either. Absolutely not. That's a great point. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, it's, it's a mess. I mean, the Giants are a mess. As bad a mess as the Jets are, I think we understood that was a bad team. You know, I think I think, I think think a lot of us looked at the Jets before the season and thought, well, it's a four-win team, a five-win team, and maybe it still will be that way. And, you know, that's a terrible that's a terrible record and a bad team, but you kind of expect that. It's part of, part of the process. The Giants, I think, a lot of us thought they were at least going to be, you know, in the box every week where they have the, uh, you know, the, 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 the playoff teams in the conversation or in the picture. And they're not in that picture yet. And that's that, – that, that really says something because right now I think it's uh, five and five that gets you in the they get you a wild card and that's that's just not good. What about the Jets now? Here they are. Uh, they're going to have another quarterback in the guy that started the season, Zach Wilson. Uh, he's been out for a few games. Uh, we saw uh, obviously Mike White had that one game with the victory and his tremendous offensive stats he put on. Uh, you know, and then and then they go to Joe Flacco last week. I'm kind of puzzled by uh, uh, Flacco. I admitted he hasn't taken the vaccination. So who's so they're going to use uh, Johnson as the backup quarterback to Zach Wilson this week? I'm kind of confused by that. Really, what they should have insisted on was Johnson and Johnson, right? If we're going to yeah. go to the vaccine part. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a mess. I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I didn't understand. I, don't, I didn't understand, A, why they got Joe Flacco. Um, you know, whatever it's going to cost me, fifth or sixth, I mean, still, I mean, is it really worth it? I have, I still have zero understanding why they went with him last week. 
um, to, 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 to start. I mean, he played fine. The Jets were in the game. But, you know, what do you gain from that? You gain zero from that. Joe Flack, if Joe Flack was a part of the Jets' future, then the Jets' future is even bleaker than their present is right now. So, in all due respect to Joe Flack, Flacco's had a fine career, but that just he just doesn't fit in the Jets' plans right now. So, to me, I mean, and of course, then you bring the COVID element into it, which just adds a very Jetsian element to, all, to the whole thing. Look, I mean, in the same way, I'm not so sure. Look, I mean, if the Jets knew what Mike White was, then maybe they really should have gone with Mike White at the end of the season and let, uh, and let Zach Wilson, you know, kind of, you know, do a little internship. Clearly, they didn't know that. But at this point, it's obvious that Zach Wilson is their quarterback in the future for better or for worse. They have to get him some reps. They have to figure out what they have with him. They have to get a lot of the learning curve out of the way this year. Um, and, and look, I mean, I guess there's no better way to do it than a team that's also pretty bad in, in the Texans this weekend, although they're coming off a win. But I mean, I think, if there's, if there's, if there's, I think the only thing you're going to wa- want to watch, even if you're a Jets fan the rest of the way, is what Zach Wilson does and how he is, yep. and if he's worth, you know, investing, you know, not forgetting a shirt, but just your your time and your and your emotions in him. And uh, I think there was, you know, and look, I understand you don't want to bring him back early. If he, if he was still hurt last week, understood. But there's no reason why Mike White couldn't have played last week. There's no reason why. There's really no reason why why Joe Flacco needs to be on the team. I mean, especially because we see, you know, Johnson might not be uh, the second coming of Brandon Cunningham, but he sure he sure he sure respect looked pretty capable against the Colts so you know if you would have had to go with him with, with, with a white Johnson one two punch why not that a what? Uh, so I, I, but, but then a lot of what the Jets do puzzles me uh, <laughs> Howard and I'm sure it does you you've you've been you've been, you've been with them and, and around them a lot longer and a lot closer than I have through the years so you know how crazy it can be there yeah but when I called their games that was when Bill Parcells was coaching and they were they were legitimately a championship contender Particular, yeah, sure. Particularly, uh, you know, in, in 98, when they went to the AFC Championship game, and I work in the game with the great Dave Jennings, and at halftime, the Jets are up 10 nothing in that game. And we, we go to a commercial break, and Dave said, you know, we got a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And I said, yeah, but you got a whole other half to play, and John Elway is not exactly the worst quarterback in America. Well, what the Jets did that day was betray their coach, because if you remember... There were a number of turnovers, particularly in the third quarter, that turned the game around. And as Parcell said to me after the game, it was my own guys that betrayed me with turnovers. Yeah. I mean, David Meggett mishandled the uh, the kickoff to start the third quarter. The wind was blowing away from him, and he muffed the kickoff. They recovered, scored a touchdown, and now it's 10-7, and, and all bets are off at that point. But I remember Mike going into the locker room after the game, walked into Parcell's office. And he had tears in his eyes. He said, my own guys betrayed me. And I, I had no answer. Uh, what am I going to do, correct him? He was right. I remember from that day, Howard, is that, you know, and it's funny, me and my, uh, my post colleague, Ian O'Connor, that, that was 23 years ago now, we probably referenced this 50 times a piece in columns, just the sight of him after that game in the hallway, and he just looked exhausted. And, he just, and, and then he said, Things I'll never, I'll never forget, and I know Ian will never forget, where he said, you know, what, what really makes you, makes you just completely exhausted is realizing just how much you have to go through just to get back to where we were three hours ago. You know, all the off-season stuff, all the, the draft, a whole preseason, a whole regular season, another playoff round. And the more he said it, the more I got tired. <laughs> and I know, I mean, I've cited that so many times, you know, not just for the Jets, I mean, very rarely for the Jets, but for other teams that get to a point 
and they lose a big game. And I'll never forget, you know, the look in Parcells' face that day of just how much effort was exhausted just to get to a moment where you had your heart broken. <laughs> and well, he was heartbroken that day, no doubt. Yes, look, at I mean, Testaverde had a career year. Curtis Martin, I think, led the league in rushing. Uh, I mean, they had a terrific team offensively and defensively. Uh, one of the games that year, they go down to Tampa with that great defense, and they beat them in Tampa. Uh, which is now I don't remember a couple of years, few years later, I'm working a national game with Dan Reeves and, and Reeves' Atlanta team was in the final four that year. And I said to him, I said, coach, I thought the Jets were the best team of the final four. He sat there and he argued with me, man. He was pounding his fist on the table at a restaurant. And I said, after he settled down, I said, you through? He said, you know what? You're probably right. (laughs) I said, I think I am. But well, as you know, Howard, they, as you know how they, 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 earlier that year, the Jets pounded that Falcons team. So I would have felt good about the Jets' chances if they had a rematch in the Super Bowl, for sure, based on how they played that first game. Uh, before I let you go, uh, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because you got to go. Uh, baseball is looking at a lockout. Is that what you're seeing? I think so. I think I, I, I think it's uh, pretty inevitable. You kind of see both trains heading for a collision at some point in the next couple of days, for sure. Well, I think there's going to be a lot of movement of players uh, if and when that occurs and afterwards. So, so we'll see. Mike, always appreciate talking to you. You stay safe. Thank you. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.